Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Media Podcast listeners. We've got a great show for you today from a rooftop bar by BBC Television Centre. More on that in a sec. But first, uh, we've got a special offer for all the podcast makers among you. Uh, If you want to grow your podcast, you might be interested in attending Grow, a new conference next Friday. That's the 22nd of July in London from the organisers of the British Podcast Awards. Yes, that'll be me and producer Matt. Uh, Grow is a day of talks from some amazing speakers from BBC Sounds, Audio Lab, Apple, Spotify, Max, Creative, Acast, and more. And we're offering you, yes, you are wonderful listeners, a discount. Just use the code MEDIAPOD to get 20% off your ticket. That's the code MEDIAPOD. Uh, if you're looking to take your podcast to the next level, just go to BritishPodcastAwards.com slash grow. You can see the full program there and get your ticket using the code MEDIAPOD. It's next Friday. It's in the sun um, at the British Podcast Awards site. Uh, you'll have a lovely time. Uh, go get a ticket. Hello, welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show today, media legislation is postponed whilst a new Prime Minister is selected. But will the new leadership alter the fate of Channel 4 and the BBC? Uh, The BBC, meanwhile, is setting out plans for a consolidated TV news channel launching in 2023, and 70 UK jobs are on the line. Uh, Spotify has acquired musical trivia game Hurdle, but will fans take to the new owner? Plus, we'll hear all about the BBC Audio Lab's creator programme, commissioning producer Leanne Alley and creator Adam Smith share the exciting new podcasts coming to BBC Sounds this summer. And in the media quiz, will our grand prize match Gary Lineker's salary? That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. And in the news this week, Netflix announced a global advertising and sales partnership with Microsoft for its ad-funded tier. In the world of sport, the Competition and Markets Authority has opened a probe into groups BT, IMG Media, ITV and Sky, investigating whether the companies are fixing freelance rates and breaching competition laws. Plus, the BBC published its annual report marking a centenary of broadcasting, but the report revealed internal trouble with a widening pay gap for women, ethnic minorities and people with disabilities, and staff numbers at their lowest point in a decade. Director Tim Davey acknowledged there had been regretted losses, but also indicated we should be seeing new talent coming through the BBC. And the Daily Mirror appoints Mail's John Stevens as its new political editor, replacing Pippa Creer, who's off to The Guardian. Uh, But in today's show, I've got two experts with me in person to unpack all these breaking news headlines. And that's right, you might be able to hear a bit of background noise because I'm on the rooftop of the broadcaster at TV Centre. 
Uh, first up is Press Gazette's UK editor, Charlotte Tobit. Charlotte, welcome back. Hi, Matt. Nice to be here. It's lovely to be here on a, in a rooftop. Yeah, during the heat wave, but not too hot. It's lovely. Yes, it's the good day. It's the good day. <laughs> um, it's been a busy week for journalists. Uh, what's it been like for everyone following the unfolding events at number 10? I mean, when is it not a busy week for journalists anymore? <laughs> but um, it's been hectic. I mean, only political journalists, I, I think, can really speak to how crazy it has been. But, um, yeah, it's just non-stop isn't it and you know there's all the prime minister stuff but then there's also yeah loads going on with the bbc this week you know it's just there's all sorts and it kind of feels like everything's happening before maybe we can breathe in august and everyone's just trying to get it out the way now so (laughs) let's hope we can all have a breather soon Uh, also with me is audio producer and technologist extraordinaire and charles lovely to see you too and you it's so lovely to be in person it is and what have you been up to in the summer so far um, well, I've had an interesting summer. I'm temporarily living in the Greater Birmingham area because right. I'm very, very lucky to be taking part in the Commonwealth Games mm-hmm. ceremonies as a volunteer. Uh, so it's not completely confirmed yet, but look out for Team Guyana. That, right. Uh, is all I'm going to say on that one. Okay. And then the usual amount of just trying to deal with everything in life. There's always more spreadsheets when you run your own business than <laughs> you really are expecting, aren't there? I think there are always more spreadsheets in life. Whatever you do. In general, yes. yes. Um, someone who probably hasn't looked at a spreadsheet ever is Boris Johnson. Uh, well, maybe just looking at a spreadsheet to see who is supporting him. And we know, well, not that many at the end of last week. Um, but his exit has somewhat thrown media legislation into doubt. In the coming week, the DCMS has intended to publish the Channel 4 privatisation legislation, launch a major review of BBC funding and pass the online safety bill. Um, Charlotte, are they are they all on the bench? I mean, maybe, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, online safety bill, for example, they've said it's been dropped until we've got a new leader in the autumn, but um, it's completely up to the new government, obviously, whether they continue with it or not. And I think there's quite a lot of doubt because a lot of freedom of speech organisations and people like that have also become more and more vocal in their opposition of it. So to start with, people were quite up for it. Um, I think people recognised that it would be good to protect children from, you know, um, porn and things like, you know, all the harmful things that children can see on the internet. But then people started to realise, oh, actually, there's lots in here that could affect wider freedom of speech. But um, it's got to be said that maybe news publishers weren't as worried because there was... Um, an exemption in there for them so news publisher content basically um, isn't included they uh, platforms aren't supposed to take it down essentially and actually um, before it got tabled this week they also um, uh, strengthened that so that platforms also shouldn't take it down even uh, before the appeal process has taken place so news publishers were generally quite happy uh, but yeah, other people weren't, and yeah, maybe that backlash is now um, going to stop it from coming back in the autumn as well. Um, similarly, B- yeah, BBC and Channel Four. Um, it completely depends on what the new government thinks. You know, it it just it can all completely change. Nadine Doris has obviously been quite keen on them as culture secretary, but you know, um, she's been a very loyal person to Boris Johnson. If it's a quite a different prime minister and quite a different government then who's to say that they would keep that you know well and she was getting into rows with other leadership campaigners on twitter over the uh, online harms bill um do you think the channel 4 privatization which i know a lot of our listeners are interested in do you think 
it is this will push it off the agenda or or it'll still reappear I think it actually depends on the state of the DCMS. Um, so I'm not so across what's going on at DCMS, but I am pretty across what's going on at the DFE at the moment, the Department for Education. And uh, similar things happening. They've got loads of ministers changing all the time. We haven't really had uh, a minister or a secretary of state um, in post in the uh, DCMS for longer than a year or two mm. for a very long time now. So effectively, civil servants are driving a lot of this through. And so I think it will depend on what happens with the new prime minister, who they put in post, what their priorities are. But it's also down to the legislative timetable and whether they get a slot. So if it's not yet being published, then it might well be put on the back burner. But there's a lot of chaos and turmoil at Parliament at the moment. Um, The Lords are very unhappy about various pieces of legislation that are going through. So it's kind of fascinating to watch, but I can't give you an answer. I think my only prediction would be that whoever the new PM is, I don't see Nadine Doris staying in post. Yes, that's probably a good prediction. Um, I think one of the challenges for for all of them is if you are a new Prime Minister, um, you've got a lot of things to worry about. Is Channel 4, which already has split some of your MPs and your supporters in the Lords, is it worth going for? I really don't think it is at this stage. It's not... It's not making massive losses right now or anything like that. And there's not a huge appetite for changing things across the nation, as far as I can tell. There are probably other priorities the new prime minister would like to pursue. I suppose it just depends on the internal wrangling and who gets what slot for which piece of legislation. So, On the topic of Channel 4, uh, the chief Alex Marne there has suggested that um, the Tories try to change some wording in its annual report to support the privatisation. Um, I mean, I look at this, Charlotte, you know, the, the government-owned Channel 4, surely they can get them to say whatever they want in the annual report. I think it's just particularly uh, uh, worrisome when, obviously, it, it's a time when Channel 4 don't agree with the privatisation and maybe, you know, and maybe they should have the chance to make the case for how well they're doing, which they are, um, revenues, you know, up. Um in, in the annual report and I don't think it's usually some you know uh, a sort of um, lobbying tool the annual report so it, it is slightly I mean it's kind of not surprising based on on how intent parts of the government are on the channel for privatization like like the fact that more than 90% of people who responded to the consultation were opposed to it you know and they've just gone well we want to do it anyway so it's hardly surprising that there's trying to keep the narrative how they want it to be. I mean, Alex, uh, to start with, was pretty sort of trying to play both sides and saying, well, you know, you know, I'm, I'm the chief executive, our owners want this. I mean, her and um, her head of programmes now, they've abandoned all, all of that, haven't they? They're just more than happy to have any arguments about their channel now. Is that because they think they'll just be off if there's a new owner? So why not say what you think? I don't know. If you're the chief executive of an organisation, it would be prudent to be seen to be fighting for it rather mm-hmm. than going, oh, well, whatever, just do what you like. I think that uh, also, as regards to the report, um, in their knowledge, it was the only time in 40 years anyone had tried to do this. It didn't actually happen in the end. So it's not standard behaviour for a government to do that. I mean, yeah, if I was working for Channel 4 or an indie, I'd expect the chief executive to say, Channel 4's great, look at the things we're doing. We think it's important it should stay. And it was wording around um, financial performance to try and align it with the government's view that um, it's perhaps not doing so good, actually, it's been doing pretty well. I don't think there's any suggestion, is there, that the wording they put in the report was wrong? No. There we go. (laughs) Um, 
Turning to another ongoing story, um, former Radio 1 star Tim Westwood has faced fresh claims of sexual abuse, including the rape of a 14-year-old girl. He continues to deny all allegations. Um, Charlotte, the BBC is sort of across both sides of this story because they've done much of the reporting about it, bringing it to the fore. And then another part of the BBC is obviously not defending it, but they're, they've been going through trying to find any previous investigations. And uh, I think there's some more information to come from them. It's not great news for the BBC, really, whatever the, the result is, is it? No, definitely not. But I do think it's a great example of the BBC holding itself to account. And um, despite the cuts it's seen over the past couple of years, doing great journalism and sort of not be, not shying away from that just because it's about itself. And I know there's lots of weird meta stories that come out about the BBC where it has to report on the BBC, but... Um, I just think it's really important that they did do this actually and the fact that they collaborated with The Guardian on it is really really nice to see as well but yeah we've got to wait and see what they're they're doing a review aren't they I think Mm. they are expecting to publish the results only in about two weeks so hopefully we won't have to wait too long and um, Tim Westwood was at Global up until April uh, with the Capital Extra show Uh, they've remained sort of largely silent since the allegations have come out should we be expecting an investigation from them? I don't know if there have been any complaints made around his time at Global. I think that this is probably part of a much wider industry issue around how we deal with stuff like this. Um, having had a dig around in the BBC's annual review, I can see that there's only been one official complaint of sexual assault in the last year and only 53 official complaints relating to bullying and harassment overall. Not all of those have been upheld. Now, on the one hand, that might sound like a good thing, but when there's over 21,000 full-time equivalent staff, so actually more staff than that, that seems very low and that seems to me like a complaints procedure or a complaints environment that might not be working. One of the other issues with the... um, the the very brave women coming forward in the Westwood case to share their stories um, is that a lot of them weren't employees of any organisation so didn't have a mechanism to complain and this is something that I've been speaking to a few different people and and organisations around I think it's something we we can't solve entirely because this is something that happens in society as a whole I don't know if it's particularly a radio industry issue but there are issues that I see and one of those is I think that if you are a contributor or a guest or you're not a member of staff you have no idea where to go or where to complain I think we should do better I think we should be able to come together and have some sort of central whistleblowing hotline or something like that I don't know how many people would use it because most of the time these things go unreported I I can't I don't think I know a single woman who's not being assaulted at some point Um, often in a work related environment not always at work So there's a culture around drinking, there's a culture around things that happen outside work, and then in this case there's a culture around what happens to guests and fans and and young people coming in who are, well, I mean, obviously we don't know entirely in this case because it's it's not gone to a, a criminal court, but for example, when there are cases when there's talent involved or there's a massive age gap, men not understanding their power or men who do understand their power and, and use it to in the wrong way so I think the issue here is really around what we're doing as an industry to make a safer environment for people and also to make sure that we find out about this stuff because when one case comes out you often find other people come forward 
And then there will be people who said, oh, I heard rumours for a long time. And it's kind of finding a fair way of getting those rumours to surface earlier so that we can deal with stuff in reality. I mean, we, we see that you know, sexual assault reporting is a low anyway, because uh, it's an incredibly difficult thing to, to talk about to the police. I mean, there is an interesting challenge for media who, who put people on pedestals and make them famous um, about, you know, people, if they do terrible things, what's but outside of their broadcasting environment and their job, um, what's the way to to allow people to report it because we do occupy a sort of a special position don't we we need to, to yeah. go ahead and, and probably do more than if someone was a milkman or I think like so that. because they they gained their position of power and influence by the fact that we put them on our platforms and mm. so therefore they had kudos and depending on the broadcaster that you work for you may also have trust just automatically by who you're associated with and so that stuff that we need to talk about and we need to all reflect on in our own practice and in our own organisations. And sometimes it needs to be spelled out to people. Mm. Yeah, it's a huge thing. And I think we collectively as an industry need to do a lot better at talking about it and not always just hiding behind, oh, well, our official complaints procedure's not had many people, so there's no problem. Because there is a problem. The media, like lots of organisations um, or institutions, were able to brush things under the carpet for so long and kind of get away with the sort of extra power that they had. And, and people obviously use power in lots of ways, some sort of horrible ways that we see with sexual assault, but even you know, down to marginalising groups and, and things like that. Um, I think media's been fortunate to get away with this stuff before. Is, is it now facing more of a reckoning on, on all manner of issues? Perhaps. I think also in this case it's... It it's also interesting. A lot of a lot of the the children, as they were, and then young women, um, were black, mm. and it never occurred to them that they would be believed. Mm. And that's partly because of institutional power with broadcasters, and also with mm. police. And 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 then there's the the natural kind of like, did that happen? Is that normal? Mm. Um, was it my fault? Was it my, all of that? Yeah, yeah. you know. Or, yeah, would anyone believe me? Yeah. Was I in the I shouldn't have gone out late anyway. Yeah. All of that stuff that especially um, anyone might experience or especially younger people who don't know what's what. And I think there are, com you know, I've had conversations with people, um, younger women coming into into organisations. Unfortunately, there are still conversations to be had about known individuals and their behaviour, especially around alcohol. Mm. Um, there are conversations that happen in my DMs sometimes when people ask for advice or we share information about this that and the other going on you know nothing where we've got concrete proof of mm. mass terrible behavior that you can take to someone but um these things are known and often it's a case of listening and making sure that when people tell you something that you are able to believe them and follow it up whilst also having of course the balance of a criminal justice process and innocent until proven guilty and, and all mm. of that stuff but well the westwood case continues and uh we will see what the bbc uh report on what it knows or what it knew uh, soon. And on to our deep dive. Are you on the lookout for some new summer podcasts? Well, this week we're exploring a roster of new podcasts coming to BBC Sounds from the Audio Labs programme. I spoke to commissioning producer Leanne Alley and one of the lucky podcast makers, Adam Smith, to find out what Audio Labs is all about and what new shows are coming to BBC Sounds. 
so much dust. Oh my god. Here we go. This is older than I thought. It's a box labelled Eisenstein Project. And it's got one, two, three, four records in it. Like old LPs. They're just black discs in thin, discoloured paper wrapping. Shit. Eisenstein Project. I found it. So BBC Sounds Audio Lab is an accelerated programme that we started last year which aims to platform um, diverse voices on BBC Sounds. And we started this programme because we realised that it's actually really difficult to get your podcast commissioned on sounds if you're not already connected within the industry because you have to pitch through an already existing production company. And we were just missing out on loads of ideas from individual creators who aren't necessarily within audio but just have really great ideas and so we put out a call out last summer we were looking for people with between one to five years worth of content making experience and had a podcast idea and it was open to everybody but we really encouraged those from underrepresented groups to apply and we were looking for stories that tell different perspectives untold stories and that really platform underserved audiences and as a result we had six amazing ideas that have come through and that we've commissioned as a full series on sound including Adam's really amazing podcast and you can hear them all from this summer. So why should the BBC get involved with this you know anyone can create a podcast they can get it hosted they can upload it what's the value in in you guys getting involved with the bbc as a podcaster myself it is very very difficult to create a podcast that is beyond a conversation format that has a lot more intense production needs such as a documentary such as a drama such as a hybrid of genres it requires so much more time so much more resource some of those things like if you're an individual creator, it's actually quite difficult to get access to. And there are very few places within the UK space where you can actually get funding for podcasts. I feel like the Arts Council is really the only place as an independent producer where you can get that. And there's just very few opportunities to get commissioned. And so we really wanted to open that out in a way that allowed more independent creators who had really great ideas a platform and a space to make the content that they want to make because at the BBC and at Sounds that's how we can better serve all audiences as well. Okay so Adam um, you are one of one of these lucky few that have been commissioned (laughs) what was the the process to get there like and why did you think hey I'm gonna throw my hat into this ring? Well I had been making podcasts before for a couple of years independently and collaboratively and I had been developing this new idea with a collaborator for quite some time actually and we were really struggling to get it off the ground. We were struggling to get funding for it even though we approached various different organisations and people because it required quite a lot of work. Like Leanne said it's not just a pure conversational podcast it required time for research and then lots of sound design and lots of different elements. It needed money behind it and it needed support, quite a lot of support behind it. And so when we saw this call or from the BBC on Audio Lab, it just looked perfect, really, because um, it was 
completely open in terms of like what kind of ideas you could pitch. They were like really, really open about it. And so I pitched in for it as a producer and said, you know, look, here's this idea that I've been working on. Here's the support that I would need. And so just through an application, it was, I had to make a clip, uh, sort of a, a kind of like a tester reel of like what the podcast would sound like. So I roped in some friends to help me like do some voices on that. Um, and then I produced that and then wrote the various statement answers that I had to and sent in the application. So this is the film we can't see, yes. and it's uh, due to drop on BBC Sounds imminently. What's the what's the pitch? What what's the idea? The film we can't see is a six part podcast series where documentary meets imagination, and it's about a bunch of filmmakers in the nineteen twenties and early thirties just as cinema was transitioning into sound. In the 1920s, there was a queer cinema, an anti-fascist cinema, a, an anti-racist cinema. But then into the 1930s, the fascists started gaining power and conservatives in the film industry started gaining power. And so more and more censorship came in. And when the Nazis took power in Germany, they burnt lots of films and obviously makers went into exile. And I have found a box of sounds which I think come from this time period and listening to these sounds and interviewing people about these sounds and finding out about these sounds and finding out about this time is helping me to imagine the film that these people could have made in 1930 if the world hadn't turned to fascism. That's the film we can't see. So, Leanne, there's obviously a number of other creators uh, dropping podcasts this summer with you guys. What else should we uh, listen out for? Oh, there's tons of great stuff. I'm really excited for everybody to, to hear them because obviously we've been working on it and talking about it for so long that now you can actually get to hear them. So, um, we've got also the Museum of Bad Vibes, which is created by Hannah Adan, which is the story of some museum objects that have been taken from their original home and now live in British museums. And so Hannah is bringing these objects to life through dramatisation and also exploring how they got here, why they're here, why they're here, and should they be sent back to their original homes. We've also got Blossom Trees and Burnt Out Cars by Talia Randall, which is looking at who has access to nature and wildlife in the UK through the lens of race and class and looking at the different communities that are affected by not having access to nature um, such as ethnic minorities such as the traveler community and she's profiling those who are trying to widen the access to nature across the UK. We've also got The Reset by Jade Scott which is a look at some of the messier aspects of life through the lens of a black woman coming of age in her 30s. So she's exploring themes such as dealing with burnt out and mental health, uh, black men's mental health, different ways that we communicate joy and how the body remembers trauma um, and also dating in digital worlds. We also have Colouring in Britain by Tommy Dixon, which is charting the lives of inspirational black British people whose stories haven't been that well documented. And lastly, we have Who is Michael X by Hamza Salmi, which is the story of uh, Michael X, who was a black British Black Panther and activist, one of Britain's most prominent black power leaders. But again, his story hasn't been very well documented and isn't very well known. And 
we're using his story to look at what his past can tell us about Britain today. That was Dan Alley and Adam Smith. The film we can't see is out on BBC Sounds right now, so go and have a listen. And keep an ear out for the other brand new podcasts arriving this summer. If you'd like to hear more about what it's like to have a podcast produced by the BBC, you can hear more about this from Adam and Leanne on our Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash mediapod. We'll be back after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We're back with part two of the media podcast. Still on the sofa here in the rooftop bar is Charlotte and Anne to cover uh, a few news in briefs. First up, uh, breaking as we are recording, is that the BBC announced uh, the combination of its uh, two TV news channels. Uh, They're saying it's launching as part of the BBC's Digital First initiative. It'll also save a bobble too. Uh, We knew a little bit about this, that they were going to merge the BBC News Channel and BBC World News. They've announced that the new channel will broadcast from London in the UK daytime, then from Singapore and Washington DC overnight. Uh, Charlotte, you've been working on a piece about this story. Uh, What can you tell us? So as well as what you've just said, um, the BBC confirmed that uh, they're expecting 70 job losses in the UK, uh, but 20 on and off screen created in Washington staff knew like in advance they were going to be told about it today and seemed quite worried saw a few presenters overnight um, sort of starting to really defend the value of having separate UK and international news channels on Twitter Um, there will still be the ability to have like breakout UK streams so if there's UK breaking news or they said certain news stories I don't know what that means yet Mm. and also interestingly um, they're going to start um, uh, doing like televised versions of some of the biggest radio shows like um, 
sort of following on interestingly from what talk radio has obviously done mm. with talk tv during the day that shows talk radio studios um and you know what they were doing on youtube before and lbc do on youtube so to start with it will be nikki campbell's five live show which will be on bbc2 as well as the new news channel um so that'll be interesting but yeah lots of um journalist jobs to go um but they're saying also a new live and breaking news uh team to still deal with global breaking news um yeah basically it's definitely still quite early days it's due to kick in um sort of april next year so i guess kind of new financial year um it's not long to uh to get all that ready is it no i mean if you look at during the pandemic, they did sort of this modernization program to mm. BBC News and um, changes around the regions and journalism as well. Um, but that felt like it rolled out a bit slower. This is, what, um, nine months or so. Mm. That's uh, for a major change, like international change. That does feel a lot quicker than what they were just doing before. Um, maybe it's worth, I think, saying that... Um, Christian Guru Murthy, obviously of Channel 4 News, um, did a keynote speech at the Oxford Media Convention mm-hmm. yesterday, and he raised this plan. Obviously, we didn't have all the details yet, but we knew it was happening. And he uh, was really concerned about um, the potential impact on, um, yeah, basically our ability, the BBC's ability to cover um, UK news in particular, and um, that a lot will be lost that we currently have. Like it's it's a really great service at the moment, mm. in my opinion. I mean, Anne, this is just what what we've been talking about o- over the last year, isn't it? The BBC does not have the money to do what it did in the past, and it has to make significant changes to be able to afford the variety of, of what it does. Is this really a terrible thing, but splitting the or bringing together the two channels? Some cost saving is inevitable. I don't think that the way that they've split the plan makes any sense. So, when I'm Queen of the Universe <laughs> and also Director General of the BBC at the same time, because you can do a job share, right? That's fine. Um, so, I would have thought that having the, the, the international news service is a very different look and feel from the domestic news service. The domestic news service effectively exists to provide a clip service in case something really big happens. So they're rolling on all the time, but they've obviously got people ready to go in case something, you know, the aliens land and we've got the footage, that's fine. The international service, there's lots of partners around the world. It's going to an audience that doesn't understand UK domestic news Mm. in the same way. Um, It's a completely different product. What does make sense is having a simulcast or a merge or a a refine of the product between Five Live and the BBC domestic news channel. So I would say that you need a rolling news service that can work well across all platforms, which is not an easy thing to do, Mm -hmm. but I think the BBC would have the skill to do it. And then that would also mean that Five Live would be able to not have a random sport because yet again, when we had all the breaking news and, and all of your friends who are journalists were herring round after what's going on with the, the Prime Minister and what's happening next, you couldn't rely on being able to turn on Five Live or turn on a BBC audio source and have that news coverage. So I was listening to a lot of um, BBC News just listening to it or LBC or Times Radio mm. because I have nowhere to go for a rolling news service BBC Audio. So merging Five Live and the domestic news channel makes sense. Merging the domestic and international news channel means that they're going to potentially do both terribly. 
The other thing that's incredibly sad, um, I don't know how you're going to be able to handle more breaking news with 70 fewer staff. And that newsroom has been cut and cut and cut and had to pay people relocating and very experienced people moving and has been in turmoil for, well, it's never ending at the BBC, but several years they've just been cut and cut and cut. And eventually you are going to notice changes in terms of what you see in here and uh, the depth of the coverage because there's only so far that you can push people. And my heart just goes out to that newsroom because, you know, it's... It's horrible, isn't it? I think it's an interesting thought about um, bringing the radio and the TV together. I think it's very easy to have a, a very TV-focused mind, and if all you do is work in television, merging the two TV news channels seems the obvious choice. But actually, there's probably a bit more you can you can think about. I'd say, yeah, merge the domestic products and have the international product as something else, and then obviously they can feed to each other when there is a massive story that makes sense. That's what I would do. If anyone would like to commission me to look after that, I am available. Uh, head of multi-platform newsness yeah, for the exactly. BBC, and Charles. <laughs> uh, well, on to some other radio news. Um, Nation Broadcasting is planning a big switch for some of its radio stations as it ends a franchise agreement with Bauer. And um, if our listeners don't know, uh, what is Nation Broadcasting and what are they up to? So they're one of the, the smaller but enthusiastic mm. radio groups. <laughs> They've got quite a few million listeners now across the country and they're running... Um, local and uh, national radio stations they're making a lot of good use of small scale DAB to extend their reach so relatively new platform for broadcasting on uh, digital radio and so they have had this agreement in some parts of the country if you listen to greatest hits or hits radio you're actually listening to a nation station and they've they've licensed the brand mm. from Bauer due to some complicated dull stuff to do with mergers back in the yep. day I imagine uh, that's normally how these things work so now that agreement's coming to an end so they will be rebranding those stations to be either Nation or Easy. They also run some stations called Breezy that they're probably going to be branding, rebranding Easy. I hope everyone is keeping up. <laughs> Never mind the quiz at the end. This is, this is better. So that's all lovely. The really exciting thing is that they're going to be launching their own news service. Yeah, so historically they've used other people to do their, yeah. their news, haven't at, they? At the moment they're using, they're using Bowers news service, yes. but because all those agreements are coming to an end, they've taken the opportunity to launch their own news service. Um, it's going to be led by John Ryan, who has loads of experience. He's um, former BBC Radio Manchester. He's also uh, does a lot of work with Gadio. He's worked internationally. So he's got that nice mix of understanding music and understanding speech stations. And so they're going to be providing a new service that is... Um, got lots of locally based um, information in teams they're going to be producing it remotely to bring down the cost which means they can actually afford to do it as far as I understand and um, it's going to be tailored so it makes sense for the station and I think this potentially marks a, a signal to a move back to having local content being an important part of your offer so um, yeah when we just heard about job cuts in journalism in one part of the industry it's nice to hear that there's a little bit of journalism happening uh, and jobs being created in another part well the big switch happens in september across a lot of their radio stations um, and to wrap up our news in brief hurdle has a new owner and that's um the streaming giant spotify charlotte are you a hurdle fan i do hurdle i'm in competition oh. with my brother every day <laughs> so explain to people what it is if they don't know so basically um Wordle is obviously for getting a word as quickly as possible with the letters. Hurdle is getting a song as quickly as possible. It starts by just giving you one second, then then you, if you don't get it, you can skip two seconds, four seconds, up to 16 seconds. If you don't get it and that, you've lost. 
and um, there's a good range of genres on there, I must say, because <laughs> I can I can go for days thinking, oh, I know all this music, and then suddenly there's all this like R and B stuff that I, and dance and like ra- current Radio One stuff that I have no idea about, and then thankfully it goes back to like arcade fire after that I'm like okay I'm safe again have your stats managed to survive the Spotify change to be honest and shaking her head so I'll go to her in a sec but I was rubbish at keeping up with the stats so <laughs> actually I didn't notice <laughs> I mean and Spotify says that this acquisition signifies a move to making their platform more interactive um, I think there are other changes do you think Spotify will make to gamify music well, I mean, I'm sure over time they'll start sliding in some adverts or popping people. I mean, in the past, I think you went to, if you wanted to listen to the full song and it was available, you went to SoundCloud, so now you go to Spotify, right. so that makes sense. It makes sense that Spotify have got an addictive game that makes you look at their brand at least once a day and then yes. you can click through and, and get distracted. We'll have to see what they do. At the moment, they clearly didn't do any bug testing as regards the stats. I didn't really know there were stats until it was pointed out and now I've had a look. Um, but if you press the stats thing, it says, oh, go and collect your stats from the old website. And you go to the old website and it says, go to the new website. <laughs> and then you just go around in a loop. So I think, I'm really sorry, it looks like probably your stats were gone forever. But on the plus side, Charlotte, that means that you've definitely beaten your, all of your relatives like with 100% accuracy, because that's definitely what I saw on your stats, right? Thanks, Sam. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for noticing. I was looking at um, some tweets from a a musician, and he was saying, because it now uses the Spotify embedded player, that um, if people are good at guessing the hurdles quickly, maybe that will tell Spotify's algorithm that people are skipping that song, and therefore it won't show up on regular Spotify. Judging by how it's being coded so far, (laughs) I think that's a lovely idea, but possibly not yet. Okay. Uh, all right, well, that's obviously one trivia game, but everyone's favourite trivia game, and I'm sure it's only a matter of time before it's acquired by Spotify, is the Media Quiz. This week, we're playing BBC Salary Top 20 True or False. It's a simple game of True or False based around the BBC's highest paid presenters. If you're ready, um, we'll get going. Um, you need to buzz in with your name, so Charlotte will say... Charlotte. And Anne, you will say... Anne. There's no internet um, gaps that we normally have, which, <laughs> which causes massive problems on the quiz. It's all in person. So a true reflection uh, of, of quiz skill. Right, true or false? Topping the list is Zoe Ball. False. Anne. I'm afraid oh. you have to buzz in with your name. I will let you off that time. Charlotte. I've just been told that uh, we have to be very tough with the quiz. No, you did not say your name, so it goes to Anne. It's false, but I think we should share that quote. <laughs> Yes, you're correct, it is false. Zoe is the broadcaster's second highest paid talent uh, and her salary is actually falling for a second consecutive year. She's taken a pay cut. Uh, Question number two, Gary Lineker is the only name to earn over a million pounds a year. Is that true or false? True. Oh, Oh, Anne. Again, we're just both so good. I I think on on the public list, of BBC PEs who aren't doing the, the stuff with BBC Studios that we don't know about, then yes, yes. that's true. That is true. So the, the former football and match of the day presenter land to the top spot. But as Anne said, it only really accounts for basically new sport and radio. Anything made by BBC Studios isn't included in the list. Right, question number three. Victoria Derbyshire has made the top 20. True or false? Anne. Anne. That is true. 
It's false. Is it? Oh, she's just had a pay increase. Well, well, while she hasn't made the top 20, oh. she might be on her way to being oh. on the list. Well. As she's been announced as the new host of Newsnight. Drinks are on week. her then. Um, uh, and finally, question number four. Uh, Greg James is the only addition to the list. True or false? Charlotte. Charlotte. False. No, it's true. He enjoyed a salary increase of £80,000, placing him at number 10 on the list. Obviously, a breakfast show presenter. He's added a couple of podcasts um, to his repertoire and I think does a bit for Radio 4 as well. Uh, So I think that means uh, that Anne sort of gets two lots of two thirds of points, uh, making her uh, the winner of the quiz. She gets her salary put to the top 10 next year, but not paid for by us. Um, well done. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, that's our show for today. My thanks to Charlotte Tobit and Anne Charles. Um, Charlotte, uh, what are you working on at the moment? Anything interesting to share with our listeners? Only that if you like podcasts, which you obviously <laughs> do, check out our new po- Press Gazette podcast, which is called Future of Media Explained. Uh, and there's definitely room for both of these because we basically we take one theme a week every week. So, for example, uh, events or the metaverse or podcasts. So, yeah, it's wherever you get your podcast now. And there's a big interview in that, I think, this week with... Um uh, the big history podcast from um, Immediate Media, isn't there? I think. Yeah, David Musgrave uh, from History Extra, they're doing very well. So, yeah, good podcast they, lessons. They're there. saying they make over a million pounds from their podcast. They're on track to this year, yeah. And Anne, what's coming up in the world of Radio TechCon? Uh, so, Radio TechCon, yeah, we're getting everything ready for that. 28th of November, back at IET London Savoy Place. So, head to radiotechcon.com and sign up for updates, and you'll be the first to know when tickets are on sale. And then for me, I'm Anne. Charles.tv. that's Anne without an E and I'm currently working on a really exciting project with a colleague, can't quite tell you all the details yet but it's all about object based media and preparing the industry for an object based media future so if you or when your organisation needs uh, training and uh, stuff like that then come and see come and see me Excellent, um, and if you've enjoyed this episode you can show us you mean it by doing any or all of these things uh, why not tell your colleagues about the show on Twitter or LinkedIn um, very easy to do not many of you do it why don't you 
hop on in and paste the URL uh, podfollow.com slash media podcast and say how much you love the show um, also of course you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash media pod you'll be able to access an archive of deep dive interviews with media experts including the one we had this week that's patreon.com slash media pod and of course follow us to hear new episodes when they drop in your podcast app of choice uh, my name's Matt Deegan you can find my weekly newsletter about the audio industry and more at mattdeegan.com the producer is Phoebe Adler-Ryan with support from Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production. We'll see you next week.